0: Turn to Mark chapter 3, and we're going to begin in Mark 3, and we'll end up in Acts chapter 1. So if you want to put a marker at Acts chapter 1, we'll get there in just a little while. I also want to tell you, thank you for praying for me and my family. Those of you who remembered, a couple of weeks ago I asked you just to pray for us when you bless your food, and and many, many people told me that they've been praying for us, and, and I really, really appreciate it. We're in a series entitled Discovering the Divine And what we're doing is looking at actual encounters that Jesus had with people and discovering God. Seeing how God is, how he responds, how he acts, how he loves people, how he cares about people. And we've looked at several instances, but last week we started talking about the disciples and the encounters that the disciples had with Jesus. And this week, the title of the message is The Three-Year Disciples. The Three-Year Disciples. In other words, what happened... In their three year encounter with Jesus. What was the main thing Jesus wanted them to get in those three years? So let me introduce it this way Does anyone here know what the official song of the state of Georgia is? Georgia on my mind. (laughs) Seeing how many people recognize that. And who sang it? Ray Charles. In other words, Ray Charles was saying, everywhere I go, I have Georgia on my mind. Ray didn't get out much, did he? <laughs> Apparently he never went to Hawaii or the Virgin Islands or anywhere else. So here's another song, just to uh, help you understand the theme of what I'm going to talk about today. Willie Nelson and Elvis Presley both recorded this song, and it has to do with your mind. You want to know that? You are Always On My Mind. You ever heard that song? Okay, this is not a review of secular songs though, okay? I just... You Were Always On My Mind. Georgia, on my mind. Okay, here's my question for you. What's always on your mind? If we had the technology to take one of these cameras and pointed it at you, and when we pointed it at you, what was on your mind would come up on the screen. Relax. <laughs> we don't have that technology. But if we did, what would come up on the screen? What is on your mind most of the time? Okay. This is what it took the disciples three years to get. If we had pointed that camera at Jesus what would come up on the screen was what you just saw. People. What was always on Jesus' mind? People. Never in human history has a person lived on this earth that had more of a preoccupation with people than Jesus. People were always on His mind. Everywhere He went. And the disciples just couldn't quite get it. You know what was on their mind? Power. Power prestige, position. And he had to constantly say to them, you're not getting it yet. You're just not getting it. Now, let me show you Mark chapter 3, verse 14. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach, to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Now, for about 20 years, I have preached that verse and that verse is... is is summarized in other places in the Gospels, in Luke 10 and other places. And I've said that Jesus commissioned the disciples to do three things. Preach the Gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. Preach the Gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. The only problem with what I've preached for 20 years is that it's wrong. (laughs) He commissioned them to do four things. Before he commissioned them to preach the gospel, heal the sick, and cast out demons, it says he appointed twelve to what? Be with him. Here's what I figured out. If we're not with him, it doesn't really matter how much preaching, healing, and casting we do the first thing we're supposed to do as disciples is to be with Him. And the reason that Jesus appointed His disciples to be with Him for three years was so they'd get it. So they would understand that people were always on His mind. Now, why, and by the way, at the most difficult time of His life, people were still on His mind. When He was on the cross, He said to John, take care of my mother. Now think about this. He's on the cross and his mother's on his mind. Not only was his mother on his mind, the thief beside him was on his mind. Not only was the thief on his mind, every person in the world was on his mind when he said, Father, forgive them. And he's hanging on the cross. And he says, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Please don't hold this against him. So why were people always on his mind? Well, here's the first reason I believe. Because he knew the Father's heart better than anyone ever had. Now, I want you to think about these three points today as we talk about them. No one had known the Father's heart like Jesus. No one understood the Father's heart. When he came on this earth, he was the first person Person to ever walk on this earth that knew the Father's heart better than anyone ever had. And any time he was with someone and they began to put a priority on anything other than people, it got him upset. Why? Because he knew what was on the Father's heart. He knew the whole reason he had come was for people. And he knew that the Father sent him for people. One time, he and the disciples were trying to pass through Samaria to get to Jerusalem And they were refused passage through Samaria. The Samaritans were refusing the Jews on the way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They didn't want them passing through their city. And so they were making them go around. And so they refused passage. This is Jesus now. Think about this. This is at the end of his ministry. And he's coming through. And they say, no, not even you can go through. How do you think the disciples felt? Do you think they ever did that old thing? Do you know who he is? You know? I heard about a real famous guy that went to the nursing home to visit his mother and uh, real well known, and not, they weren't treating him very well. And so he finally said to this nurse, Do you know who I am? And the nurse said, No, but if you go down there, that nurse might be able to tell you. <laughs> That's probably the attitude the disciples had. Don't you know who he is? Because this is what they said Lord, do you want us to call down fire on these Samaritan dogs? And here's what Jesus said. You still don't get it, do you? In essence, that's what he said. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Let me say it another way. That's not my father. That spirit right there, calling down fire on people, no, that's not it. You're missing it. You're missing it. He knew the Father's heart better than anyone ever had. Now, I want you also, as we're going through this, I want you to apply this. In other words, my goal is to be like Jesus. So my goal, if I want to have people on my mind rather than myself, which is normally on our minds... Rather than me or my interests or money or strategy or business or whatever it is, rather than have that on my heart, I know my mind. If I want to have people on my mind, I'm going to have to become like Jesus. So I need to get to know the Father's heart better than I ever have before. I want you to make the jump on each of these points. He knew the Father's heart better than anyone ever had, so I want to get to know the Father's heart better than I ever have. I'll get to Acts 1 in a minute. Luke 15, verse 1 says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. And we're not going to the parable that he spoke. He actually spoke three parables. But the complaint against him was that he ate with sinners. This was an incredible complaint. If you'll read this, read through the Gospels, you'll see how many times they were upset. Now, here's what they were upset about. Here's what the Pharisees were upset about. You are placing an inordinate amount of attention on people that don't deserve it. That's what they were upset about. You should be spending your time with more important people. You should not be involved with these kinds of people. Here was his response you still don't get it. With all of your learning, you don't understand the Father's heart. And he tells three parables to help us understand the Father's heart, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And here's what he says. You need to understand that all of heaven and my Father rejoices when just one sinner comes home. You don't get it. This is why I'm here. The reason I'm here is to eat with these sinners. That's the reason I came. Not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said in another place. Here's the second reason people were always on his mind. He understood the reality of eternity better than anyone ever had. He understood the reality of eternity better than anyone ever had. Now think about this. This is the Son of God. He comes to the earth. And a person comes up to him, here's what's on his mind. This person is either going to spend eternity with me or apart from me. That's what's on his mind. Are y'all catching this? This person, every person that walked up to him, here's what Jesus is thinking. This person's either going to spend eternity with me or in eternal torment. He talked more about eternity than any person had ever talked about eternity. Read the Gospels. He is continually talking about heaven and hell. He's continually saying there is an impending reality coming. It is not on this earth. It is somewhere else. No houses, no lands, no possessions, no bank accounts. Nothing makes it to the other side except people. I want you to catch this. Nothing that you have right now will make it to the other side. Nothing except people. That's the only thing. Let me say it this way. Don't ever forget these three words. People last forever. It's the only thing that lasts forever. People last forever. When the bank makes an error on your account and you go to the bank to get it straightened out, the most important reason you're there is the person you're going to talk to. Who cares about the error in your account? Your account is not going to make it to the other side. The account that's going to make it to the other side is whether you share with that person about the Lord Jesus Christ or not. That's the only thing. She's going to make it or he's going to make it to the other side, but your bank account's not going to make it. Are you all with me this morning? I know you're real quiet because you're under conviction. (laughs) That's okay. Isn't that amazing that we, when we're talking with people that we get upset and we chew them out and yet that person's going to go to hell? And we're upset because something was wrong with our bank account? Who cares? Who cares? You ought to be caring about the person. It's the person that's important. Now, let me show you something Jesus said. Now this is radical. This is radical if you really look at it. Matthew 18, verse 9. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Now, that's amazing. This is on the PowerPoint. It's not in red, but in your Bible, it's in red. Okay. This is Jesus talking. Jesus said, Jesus said, take your finger. Stick it in here and pluck your eyeball out. Jesus said that. Now, obviously, he's not talking literally. He is trying to get the point across to us that there is an eternal hell for people. And he's trying to use a radical illustration to let you know, do anything you can to avoid this place because I've seen it. Are you all hearing me? So pluck your eye out. Then he says something like this. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. True treasure is people. That's what true treasure is. I have a question for you. How big is your heavenly bank account? (laughs) How large is your heavenly bank account? Some of you are bankrupt. Have absolutely nothing in your account in heaven. And you've only got a few more years. Whether you've got 40, 50, or 60 more years, you've only got a few more years to do something about it. Have you ever wondered why Gateway Church has grown so fast? We're a phenomenon. This is amazing. This is a work of God. I'm not this good. (laughs) Thank you, George. (laughs) I know it. You know it. When you come here, you sense God. You sense His presence here. Well, why? Why has He resourced us like He has? It's amazing. I turn down articles. People, they want to interview me about the finances of a church. And I may do it at some point, but so far I've said, no, because I just want to make sure we don't touch what God's doing here. Yeah, right. This is amazing what God's doing here. Why? Why would God have built this church so quickly... And we were in the elders meeting just a few weeks ago and one of the elders said, guys, I've been just baffled by it. I don't understand it. And I was thinking about it and praying about it. And he said, all of a sudden the thought came to me. He said, it may be that God's done such a quick work here. Now listen, just let this sink in on you. Because we don't have that much time left. And boy, it just sunk in on me. And here's what sunk in on me. How many people... If we don't have much time left, I don't know when the second coming is. But what about, you know, I was looking through how many people come here and all this. Do you know how many people have, just in the five years that we've been going, have attended here that are now dead? That have been in our services and they've died? There ought to be something that grips us like gripped Jesus that there is an eternity awaiting every person on this earth. That's what gripped him more than anything. He walked around. He knew the Father's heart, but he knew the reality of eternity better than anyone ever had. The stakes are too high for us not to do something about this. Can I say that again? The stakes are too high for us not to share Jesus with our neighbors. The stakes are too high. Here's the third reason he had people on his mind. He saw the potential in people better than anyone ever had. He saw the potential in people better than anyone ever had. He saw people differently than any religious leader that ever walked around. That's why the sinners liked to be around him. Because he treated them with respect. And the reason was he saw what they could become, not what they were. Entrepreneurs... Have a gift from God to see potential in a product or a service. I want you to think about this. We have a lot of entrepreneurs in our church. It's a divine gifting, by the way. Whether a person is saved or lost, every person gets their gifts from God. What God's desire is, is that you would be redeemed and your gifts would be redeemed and used for the kingdom. But when you're born, you're born with gifts from God. And you've got those gifts. All gifts come from God. No one here got a gift from Mother Earth. You got it from Father God. Okay, let's just clarify that. It all comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of above. Okay, so entrepreneurs have a divine ability to see potential in a product or a service. And let me just say this, if you're here and you're a believer, if you have the ability to make money, it is only for the kingdom. That's it. You say, well, it's also to provide for my family. No, God can send ravens to provide for your family. He doesn't need your job to provide for your family. Now, he doesn't mind using that to provide for your family, but the whole reason you have potential to bring in resources is for the kingdom of God, for people to get saved and discipled. Okay, so entrepreneurs have this ability to see potential in people, in goods and services. Let me say that. Coaches have the ability to see athletic potential in people. So think about this. Uh, there are some college coaches that are so good at this that they can see the potential in a 17- or 18-year-old kid that they have built college dynasties. By the way, you know, most of you know my son goes to Baylor, and apparently you weren't praying hard enough yesterday. <laughs> and I've asked you to pray for my family. and uh, so. Some... Coaches have this potential to see ability in kids. Are are, are you all following me? Okay. Leaders have the ability to see potential in people. The the secret of, of Gateway Church is the anointing of God and the team that God's gathered here. And I know that. And I can see potential in people and try to get them in the right place and just let them flourish. Jesus had the ability to see potential in people better than anyone ever has. And let me explain to you why. Jesus could look at sinners and see saints. (laughs) Now this is amazing. I want you to think about this. Who else could have seen purity in a prostitute? The prostitute comes to him. Everybody sees a prostitute. Jesus sees purity. Who, Who else... Could have seen a philanthropist in Zacchaeus. You ever thought about that? Everyone knew Zacchaeus was a cheat, a robber, and a thief. Jesus walks into town, looks up in a tree, and sees a philanthropist. He sees a giver. A guy that will give a fourth of everything he has to the poor. Who else could have seen boldness in a denying disciple? What Jesus did, he looked at Peter and he said, you're unstable, but I'm making you stable. By the way, I wonder what he sees in you. Do you understand that Jesus always looked past the sin in people? Do you understand that Satan tries to focus you on your sin and your weaknesses? And you know why you shouldn't be focused on that? And you know why Jesus didn't look at the sin when he looked at people? Because he knew the ability he had and the power he had over sin. So sin never restricted him when he looked at a person. It doesn't restrict him now when he looks at you. None of your weaknesses affect him because he knows he's stronger. So he's not affected. He's not you don't have to say, well, I could never do that because of this. It doesn't matter what your ability is. It's what his ability is. Okay, look at Acts chapter 1 now. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In my opinion, this is when the disciples got it. They finally got it. It finally dawned on them, oh, oh, you want us to do what you've been doing. You want us to be concerned about people. Did you know Jesus did not have to have a ministry for three years to redeem you? I'm going to give you a thought, a deep thought, that maybe you've never had before. He did not have to heal anybody's eyes for you to be redeemed. He didn't have to raise anyone from the dead to redeem you. To redeem you, He lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, and rose from the grave. That's why you're redeemed. You're redeemed because He fulfilled the law for you. He fulfilled the law died in your place, and rose again to give you new life. Okay? That's why you're redeemed. Sinless life, sacrificial death, and resurrection. He didn't have to have a ministry. So, here's my question. Why did he do ministry? You know why? Because he was showing the disciples, this is what I want you to do when I leave. I want you to catch it. And here's another thing. Here's another one of those deep thoughts. Why did he do it for three years? Why didn't he do it for two? Or why didn't he do it for five? Here's my here's my deep answer to that. Because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit said, "How long is it going to take these guys to get it?" Mm, Three years. And it took them three years to get it. But they finally got it. And they got it so much that in the book of Acts, they were beaten and told, don't you ever preach that name again. And here was their answer. We're going to obey God, not you, because there's no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. I'd say they got it. Wouldn't you? They got it. Here's what they were saying to those people who were beating them, telling them not to preach anymore. You don't get it. You don't get the Father's heart. You don't get the reality of eternity. And you don't get the potential that God has created in people. But we get it. And we're going to keep going. Alright, one last scripture. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. One sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay. If you'd been in that room, there'd been this huge wind, like a tornado or a hurricane. A huge wind. The building is shaking. This went, and then this ball of fire would have come into the room, and you would have seen this ball of fire. But then the ball of fire divided, divided tongues. It divided in a good way. It divided, and a tongue of fire sat on each person's head. Everyone get that? We just read that. On each person's head, a tongue of fire sat. So if you were in the room, though, you have to think about this. Here's what you would have done. If you were in the room, if I was sitting there like this, and this fire comes down. Here's what I'd have done. I'd have, I'd have turned to George and said, there's fire on your head. There's fire on your head. And he would have said to me, there's a fire on your head. See, someone else would have said it because you wouldn't be able to see it. You know, you like this, and the fire would, you know, move. You wouldn't be able to see the fire on your head. But you could see the fire on other people's head. You got it? And a tongue of fire set on each Person's head. All right, here's the first thing I want you to catch from this. I don't, I don't want you to say this. I am an each. Say that. I am an each. Okay, there's fire on your head. Right now. Here's the second thing I want you to catch. Please catch this. My fire is not bigger than yours. You have the same amount of fire to share Jesus with someone else that I have. It's the fire that brings them to the gospel. Not the eloquence of words. It's the fire. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Gateway Church is called. Gateway Church is called to have people always on our mind and to be witnesses unto Him in our Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You got it? If you don't want to be a part, if you don't want to be a part of a radically inclusive, grace-extending, world-changing, on-fire army, then don't come back here anymore. Because that's what we are. I'll tell you something I've never told you. When I was three years old, In my bed, I got up, went into my parents' bedroom in the night. And my parents have told me about this. And uh, I said to them, Jesus just came in my room. And they said, "Um, well, what did he say to you? And go back to bed, you know, but what, (laughs) what did he say to you? And I said, He told me that he wants me to tell the whole world about Jesus. Now, listen to me. Let me remind you. My fire is not bigger than your fire. But I believe with all of my heart that we are on the verge of doing that. We are on the verge. And that is the call on Gateway Church. To tell the whole world about Jesus. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What's always on your mind? What was on God's mind? What does your spiritual bank account look like? And what can you do? And can you do something today? In a moment, Pastor George is going to just explain to us five ways that every person here can do something. And just pick one of the ways. Every person here can do something. And I'm asking you before you leave, respond to the message and do something to send the gospel to the world. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts. That you would make us like Jesus. That we would have people on our minds. And that we would allow the fire that's on our head to go into our heart and to come out of our mouths. In Jesus' name.